Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. I have just seen the news about the World Cup. Have you seen this? Tell me. The World Cup's going to be held in six countries across three continents uh, in 2030. Wow. I, um, yeah, <laughs> I'll have to do a pod on that. It's an extraordinary decision. Uh, yeah, my instinct is that, if nothing else, it's absolutely awful for the planet. But um, hey-ho, that's, uh, that's one for another time. Well, we thought the Euros would be interesting when it was sort of done across parts of Europe, I guess, including London. I don't know if England is counted as Europe anymore, but obviously that too. And now it uh, sort of takes it to a whole new different level, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, we're going to say closer to home today aren't we with uh, the only topic in town which is uh, VAR so obviously a huge amount of controversy over the weekend with Liverpool's um, goal that was uh, I don't know how you'd even describe it you wouldn't call it ruled off well, I suppose it was ruled offside on the pitch and not not overruled by the VAR um, and I think there's yeah there's a few different areas to unpick for us and on our relative expertise I think you've got a really interesting perspective on uh, the role of integrity, the way that rules can be interpreted, and just the kind of general, um, I guess, yeah, implementation and environment around VAR. Uh, and then I'll, I guess I'll have some thoughts as well around the product and what VAR is for the product and, and how people should be thinking about it. Um, but do, where do you want to start, Dan? I mean, there's there's the kind of replay consideration, maybe just starting as a, as a fan, your, your reaction to, to what happened on on Saturday, yeah, I think look, it'd be great for your your insights as well on on this particular point. I think um, well, there's a few things. There's there's the specific incident, and we can go into that because obviously, in due course, the audio and the video has been released, which I think uncovers quite a lot of interesting elements. I think there's a sort of societal thing, which is just you know jump on and kick as much as possible um, and be reactionary as as early and as quickly as possible um, because of the injustice. Um, but there's injustice in most games in football. It's just this is not an injustice that has been seen before in truth. And I think, you know, there were some great um, things I've been, you know, reading in between my time doing some drafting this afternoon in order to distract me a little bit, um, where I think someone had said, because um, Klopp's obviously come out and said um, uh, maybe a replay is the, the best way to deal with things. And uh, and some, one of the Tottenham fan sites has said, great, looking forward to replaying the 2019 Champions League final. And Jan Vertonghen has uh, sort of responded saying, looking forward to getting back to Madrid. So, you know, the, the point is, like anything, um, nothing is consistent. Uh, there's always going to be problems. Uh, there's always going to be huge amounts of outrage, especially when it's obviously a clear decision that's been um, incorrectly applied. So um, obviously we're Liverpool fans. Uh, we're pretty clear on that, but hopefully we can still be relatively objective in um, the views. And obviously the views at the time are pretty, uh, that are, are, you know, outrage and inconsistency and um, and the rest and everybody piles on for other particular decisions. But going, going outside of that, I, I just felt there were a couple of really interesting elements. Um, the, the first simply being is, you know, everybody going crying conspiracy theory and, you know, something more sinister my view is that what has happened over the last few days backs up my confidence in the system, in truth. You know, living in an open, relatively open democracy where hopefully accountability and transparency actually occur, you know, 
everybody looking for and wanting to see what's actually happened um, actually improves things. You know, Matthew Syed in Black Box Thinking is all about that in the medical profession and in the um, aviation industry in that you don't cover things up by not putting stuff out there. You do that by putting it out there, it being uncomfortable. And unfortunately, it is uncomfortable for the VAR um, team. But then changes to processes actually happening. And the thing that I, you know, was uh, firstly comforted by was it's it's it really is as simple as uh, human error. And you know, I, I don't need to be any more empathetic to say everyone's going to be feeling dreadful about it for a while. Liverpool fans, obviously included. But the thing that got me at first instance, and maybe Omar, I'll be interested in your thoughts because obviously a lot of the stuff you do is very logical, process driven, lots of the time analytical and otherwise. Is I was shocked at how sort of crazy and hectic and how quick the comms and the processes were in that VAR hub, in truth, um, that everything seemed very, very jumpy and quick and slightly roughshod was probably my, my view. Um, so I'd be interested your views on that one. And then, but but I think, yeah, sorry, go on, what were you going to say maybe? No, you go, you go on, Dan, yeah. you that thought. And, but, but I think ultimately that being, that being said, my, my strong view is, uh, again, if we take it all to a logical conclusion, the p- part of the argument also was, oh, when the game had restarted, they should have actually, as actually happened, um, said, you know, we need to take it back. There's been a mistake. There's been a mistake. You know, that, that, that approach in law is basically called a purposive approach, which is you still need to get to the right answer, even if, you know, laws need to be interpreted or rules need to be interpreted in slightly different ways. And I wonder whether that would have actually caused more problems if the on-field ref had actually gone to the fourth official and said, no, actually, if we've made a real error here, but we've restarted the game, I'm still going to go back and award the goal and whether that would have actually caused even more controversy than, um, than what we are seeing here. But I think, you know, Looking back and reflecting over a few days now, my strong view is, you know, maybe counterintuitively to some, this really strengthens um, the the foundation of the Premier League. I know it doesn't look like it is in the end at present, but everybody seeing exactly what happens and VAR coming out and the PGML coming out and saying, you know, process issues, systemic issues, that's not grounds for more of an issue. That's more grounds to say, good, we've actually got to and found out a particular process-driven issue, and we're going to weed that out in order to make sure that absolutely doesn't happen again. And I'm, I'm more than happy for you to come in at that point, but I think what I want to do is then set up the conversation a little bit further as to, I actually think the real issue fundamental issue here is actually um to well a, a more a couple of things the first is the micro issue around travel time for um re- referees and var assistants what what actually you know we don't know if everyone the the var and particular referees flew back um thursday night i believe arrived back friday whether that's apt- actually optimal you know, recovery time to be able to be in the top notch, you know, echelons of performance to be able to ensure that what they're doing is done correctly. But I think the wider point actually is the PGML contracting or the referees contracting with other leagues who have interests in Premier League clubs. And we can maybe talk about that in a minute too. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I just had a couple of thoughts on on what you were describing there. The first was on the 
the way the procedure works, I thought was was interesting. And yeah, it's always it's useful to see behind the curtain, I suppose. And again, people often talk about cricket doing it really well, and, and they do. And it's, it's a different sport around the objectivity of decision making. But I think one thing they get really well on the decision review process in cricket is the procedure element. Um, you know, it's there's very the, the language who whatever third whoever the third umpire is is consistent. Um, you know, it's always always the same words to the point. It's almost a bit of a meme. You know, you can always you can always know exactly what the third umpire is going to say next. And I think there was a reflection on what was being said in the VAR room that wasn't it wasn't procedural, right? It was it was kind of um, just going through as if not as if you're doing it for the first time, but as if you know you are bit again winging it makes it sound harsh. But you know what I mean? It's it's not like a consistent way of going about it. And I thought it was really interesting that you you kind of brought in that that phrasing from uh, from a legal context around getting to the right decision um which again i think i wonder if that's like it's just not within the framework of thinking of referees like around getting to the right decision um and, and, that, and that becomes even more important in the context of var because you do have this kind of ability to go backwards so yeah it, it almost feels like there needs to be a bit of a kind of reframing of the way that things are done and i think transparency is a good way of of shaping the way things are done because the moment you open things up then obviously people have lots of opinions some of those opinions are invalid or, or not relevant but you will have people coming in with, with good ideas uh, but i do get want to get onto those two particular points that you raised the micro and macro issue around around travel i suppose the travel one is, is maybe less slightly less pertinent um with uefa and um with referees you know coaching uh, refereeing in europe and so on although you may have a different view on that but then, yeah, the broader point around refereeing in other leagues, I think, is a really interesting one to dig into. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there was, as I mentioned in, the, in our prep call before this, is that there was a brilliant article by um, Ollie Kay in the Athletic, um, and he was um, he, he made a really good point, and I hope he won't mind because actually I think it's really well drafted. That I just read it out briefly because it actually sets out the the it's again a very very specific transparent point um transparency point which is he talks about the optics and says everyone knows that sheikh mansour's sheikh mansour vice president and deputy prime minister of the uae owns man city less well known is that the uae football association held talks with city football group about a framework joint cooperation and the uae pro league's main sponsor is the abu dhabi national oil company whose board members include city chairman kaloon al mubarak in that context allowing a group of pgmol officials to fly to the uae last week to take charge of the game um uh, Michael Oliver as the referee, Stuart Burton Cook as assistant, England as VAR, looks inadvisable in the extreme. Not because of doubts about integrity among the officials or the authorities in the UA, but because having referees on the payroll of another league with close links to the ownership of Premier League clubs inevitably brings an extra level of scrutiny the match officials really could do without. So I think that articulates it very well. I, I would actually almost go one step le less and actually one step further in truth i think it's it's actually really important that everybody knows football fans authorities officials understands the the linkages between all of these entities so that transparent and important decisions can be made and and i actually think the best outcome of what has happened actually doesn't relate to the VAR process. Um, I think the PGMOL have said that they're going to be 
looking into um, the relationships that they have with other national associations, specifically because we've talked about previously, and haven't we, around um, integrity of competition, potential conflicts, and or the perception that integrity is upheld. And, you know, you've said it much better than I over the years, is that I think the real important most the most fundamental foundational element of professional football at the highest level is there is absolutely no perceived or actual conflict around the uncertainty of result and that's absolutely you know of of prime importance and the pinnacle the pinnacle sort of objective really now all of these decisions about multi-club ownership and whether that gets watered down and whether teams can play in the same competition. You know, I was thinking about that and giving that some thought over the weekend. That's very much right at the heart of all of this, which is you need to make sure that those even perceived conflicts of interest don't occur so that nobody can say, oh, well, they flew back from the UAE and that was the weekend that Liverpool, City's rivals, Liverpool, were playing and they may have tried to ask them to play that game with that and with this in mind, etc. And maybe they would be more tired and they wouldn't have done that otherwise. Obviously, the, all of these sort of um, ideas of more sinister issues, they obviously are very unlikely, well, I'll go even further, haven't occurred. But what's very important is the perception that these things don't occur is as important as the actual reality of the situation. So my, my view for what it's worth is out of this, the micro point is VAR's processes will change quite considerably. But I would be really surprised if there isn't a more systemic change around um, the PGMOLs contractual relationships with other leagues, bearing in mind the links and the interest that those other leagues might have with teams in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's, that is safe to say in some ways. Uh, and I agree, it's, it's all about the perception. Um, it was a similar thing recently. I think we might have even discussed it around um, multi-club ownership and this kind of perception that um, there might be, you know, teams doing each other a favour if they're owned by the same ownership. Um, they've obviously tried to change that by changing the ownership, but I don't think anyone's convinced. And, and at this stage, that there is no concerns on, on something like that. But unfortunately, a lot of um, a lot of football fandom is fairly conspiratorial, um, if, that, if that's the right word, um, and will look at things with a degree of cynicism. And, and actually, that's just the environment you have to deal with as a, as a football league and as a football club. So... I completely agree. It's um, it, it's an issue of, of perception, um, and then and then just more broadly, I think. But but I do think that the kind of idea of refereeing overseas has opened an interesting can of worms, which we've discussed before. Um, and I know you've said before, there's no reason why it couldn't be the case that English referees, uh, or rather, you know, the best international referees could come and referee here. And I and I don't think, um, and I think that is something that. Could, you know, if you have a kind of open labour market of, of referees, it, it could help drive up standards because suddenly if you're a really good referee in Slovenia, suddenly you've got the opportunity to, to referee at a really, really high level consistently, not just in European competitions, but week in, week out. Um, but but I think there are other issues around, around refereeing that we can maybe get into. Um, but the one thing I, I'm quite keen to touch on is, is this whole uh, replaying the match point. When we were speaking earlier, you say that there are maybe some some um 
some elements in which the, or some circumstances in which matches in the Premier League could re- be replayed. I have to say, I thought I watched Jurgen Klopp's comments before I actually kind of saw some of the reaction to them, and I thought he was relatively reasonable in what he said. Um, you know, he, he was speaking as as I think he tends to do from the heart. But um, but yeah, obviously we're not going to get a replayed game. But I'm interested in what, in what circumstances do you get replayed games in in a major professional football? League? Well, I mean, I was I was trying to look back in any type of situation where that type of eventuality has happened. And I, I read, I think it was that the last time there was even something similar akin to this was, um, was it the Sheffield United Arsenal map? Yes, it was. Yeah. In the, in FA, the Cup. FA Cup long, uh, long ago where I think it was Arsenal scored a goal, you know, when they didn't throw the ball back and they scored and then they brought the ball in. And then I think Veng- I think it was Wenger that agreed to a, a replay straight after the match, which obviously, um, you know, the, the football authorities took up. But um, and, and just just on that, sorry, I, there, there have been circumstances. And I think it was even Leeds in the championship where they scored a goal in a similar circumstance and then they immediately gave up a goal on the pitch. So I guess that negated the need for a replay. But yeah, you're right. That it's very unusual to, to have a kind of replay circumstance for something like that. Well, it brings into focus, doesn't it, that if if VAR had mentioned to on-field referee, we've made a major mistake here, we obviously can't bring it back. But what we suggest you do is speak to the managers and say, what we suggest is we give we get a goal to take yourselves into the position we should have been had it not been for our error. I mean, who knows what would have happened then, whether Postacoglu and and Klopp would have agreed, whether the players would have agreed, what on earth would have happened in the stadium, should that have have happened or otherwise. But it sounds like, I mean, I I could be wrong and maybe I've I've sort of not been as up to date, but it sounds like that most of that conversation was released wasn't heard by the on-field referee. So the, the time that they apparently or supposedly knew was only potentially at half time, which obviously caused cause well, say caused more problems. I don't know whether it caused more. It, w- it would have been really, it would have been really interesting. Again, not that the circumstances likely to arise again, but it wasn't that far off half time, I think. And then obviously Spurs scored a couple of minutes after. So, but if it had been nil nil at half time, and the referee had learned and he had that conversation with the coaches, what the reaction would have been? I think it would have put. I think it would have put Postacoglu in a very challenging situation because they would they would have played, I don't know, I can't, again, I can't remember off the top of my head, called it 10, 15 minutes, um, you know, thinking it was nil-nil when really it was one-nil kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, essentially the moment passed really after the ball went out of play for, call it, the second time. Um, but, but, yeah, it, you know, these, these are very strange situations. They will arise again, but it's kind of interesting to think through what, what could have happened. Yeah. Sorry, I broke you no, off. No, 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 it's all, all fine. I mean, um, you know, uh, it was very exciting for me to look through the Premier League rules this afternoon um, to think about uh, the replay possibility. Um, and Rule W does actually give um, grounds for the Premier League board at the behest of a commission that is set up, set up to make a recommendation that a match is replayed. And those particular commission scenarios would be is if uh, an independently set up commission um, found a breach of the Premier League rules by match officials um, and then 
um, the commission decided that a particular remedy was appropriate. So that there is there is the possibility to um, the rule. I don't. I'm not aware of the rule being activated previously in truth, or a commission being. Um, com- uh, a commission being appointed to deal with such a scenario, but the pathway is there. Um, I think politically, practically, and otherwise, there will be such little appetite from definitely the Premier League administration, and then maybe from other clubs. Because I think, I think, and I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm still thinking this is a lazy analysis that it just opens up everything for ev- for everyone forever. <laughs> um, uh, that even though it's an outlier situation, that every time, I mean, and we had, some more, in a way, some would argue, worse situations when, you know, was it the, when the ball went over the line and the VAR wasn't working with the chip, um, which sent, did it send Bournemouth down? Was, am I losing my mind? Or should I be- yeah, no, it kept, kept Villa up. Yes. Yeah, and it, it was, the cameras were obscured. Sorry, so, yeah. yeah. So, the, in a way, you know, that was season-defining in so many more ways, in truth, quite late on, if I remember correctly as well. So, um, it, I think the worry has to be that, that then the bar for intervention, for basically legal and regulatory intervention into on-field matters then causes all types of issues around delay and when the game would be replayed and how you'd intervene and timing and you know all the things that we've seen for example with Manchester City and their dis- and their FF um, sustainability and cost control uh, litigation the same with Everton um, those matters as well it was sort of announced I think yesterday that quite a few clubs including Leicester and others if Everton are found guilty uh, a, a found to have breached the cost control provisions um, that they'll sue Everton for significant amounts of money for the loss suffered as a result of the relegation. So all of those particular off-field intervention points to the cost control, I think it should be, you know, a lot of people would argue that that bar for intervention should be even higher when it relates to on-field stuff because of all of the regulatory drag effectively that would happen as a result. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just can't see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It opens a can of worms at anyone. And and look, there have been some other VAR cock-ups, um, refereeing cock-ups, um, you know, that, uh, you know, Klopp did say it was unprecedented and it is in, in some degree, but, but in other ways it's not. You know, there have been other occasions where the lines have been drawn wrong or, or whatever. So it's not totally unprecedented and I, I just can't see a world in which, which you'd want to open that. That kind of worms. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we again, we, one of the things that I had sort of not quite foreseen when VAR was put in place, and we talked about it a little bit, was, you know, I had always envisaged, and obviously after listening to Neville and Carragher and others, when VAR was going to be implemented, and obviously there still are some teething issues a few seasons in, that it was, at least for some things, was going to be extremely objective. So, offside was, you know, draw the lines, do it right and follow the process. And we've seen that sort of widening of the subjective scope of VAR, which is exactly as you said, lines drawn incorrectly, processes not followed correctly. And that's not even anything to do with all of these incredibly subjective VAR reviews around red cards, handballs, penalties, things being slowed down, 
you know, um, freeze frames at particular times and whether, you know, that provides some type of subjective bias or otherwise. So I, I didn't know whether you had any thoughts on that, whereas I had just, you know, as a fan, probably more than anything else, assumed that all of this VAR implementation would be a lot more objective than actually what it feels in the weeds, which is huge amounts of human subjectivity second time round, which sometimes don't re- doesn't really help the situation anymore yeah i mean i must admit i was a, a VAR advocate um back when it was being introduced was it 2018 or so uh, and I, i'm very very much in the anti-var i'd be interested to get your view on it but i'm very much in the anti-var camp now um i, I just don't i i think a lot of the analysis around this kind of idea that a better product is achieved through accuracy and through trying to reach a certain level of perfection on decision making and that will make it fair and more I just don't think it it adds up and I think fundamentally refereeing standards can be higher and that there's ways you can go about that mostly through getting a better talent pool in which means you know reducing the level of abuse at, at grassroots level and meaning getting better talent in pay them better once they get through the levels and so on um but yeah fundamentally I, I just don't see I don't see VAR really working for a sport like football, and that should be fine. Like people should be happy to accept that referees make mistakes in the same way as players make mistakes. And unfortunately, that you know the genesis of, jar, of VAR is that people don't um, accept that. Uh, and I'm I've I'm very happy to accept that now. Certainly going through the, the VAR experience that we've had, but yeah, if, if I if I could get rid of it, I'd, I'd get rid of it tomorrow. To be honest, I just, I, I, goal line technology fine. Uh, I think if you've got automated offsides. And it's it's a kind of it's a good technology, fine. But but any of the video stuff, I mean, the, you know, the Curtis Jones one on the weekend, you know, people will be split either way on that. Um, and I, I see both sides of it as well. But and that's part of the problem. I think you just need to let the referee make the judgment of of that in the moment in the game. Maybe there's a couple more eyes on the pitch, but but I just don't I don't see VAR really helping with with any of the, the kind of issues that that we've discussed. I, I'm I'm actually in full agreement. I think um, the problem is is um, everybody's hoping for cons- human consistency, and the only thing consistent about human consistency is its lack of consistency. <laughs> um, I've definitely confused myself there. I think, but um, no, you got it. You got it right. Uh, yeah, we, and and but but maybe that's the point. You know, I think as a, just a slightly wider philosophical point, which is. You know, it adds to the ongoing outrage in truth and maybe to some conscious or subconscious degree, that's what fuels the the positive merry-go-round of the of the football spectacle. Um, you know, I talked about and I know it's maybe a bad analogy, but, you know, a lot of the time. I sort of in, uh, sort of made the um made the comparison that football was becoming more like wrestling, like the, the, everything around the game becomes the bigger topic rather than whatever is going on for those 90 minutes. Granted, this, this sort of slips in between the both, but that just fuels the, the further outrage and the f- further inconsistency and the further debate, which actually probably, probably, probably might be better set just with the referee making the decision at the time. And exactly as you said, those offsides and goal line tech doing what it needs to do from a hopefully more objective perspective. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in this kind of tide of opinion now on, on VAR now that people have experienced it. And I, I do think, I do think clubs clubs' position on it is is different actually to to a lot of fans and and perhaps to you and I. I think clubs are generally in favour and, and want better implementation. But you're absolutely right. I, I just think the the subjectivity element is is become so clear with, with VAR that becomes hard to hard to get right. Um, but yeah, I, I think I mean we can easily we, we can easily spend another half hour on this. I think getting into as I said, I think quality of, of refereeing is, is another topic. We've spoken about international refs coming to the league, and as I say I think getting a better talent pool in um, would be beneficial. But but I think we need to, as it were, focus back on on the main aspect of the product, which is the players on the pitch, and, and try and somehow shift the narrative away from this kind of very easy analysis of we were robbed because of refereeing decisions and um, and the like. But uh, not easy to do when there's a lot of money at stake for for ownership and for for coaches and players if they're to get relegated or to get in the Champions League and, and whatnot. So you can totally understand the motivations for where these conversations come from. Absolutely, pal. And, um, well, I think we've had a relatively civilised bar conversation in truth. Yeah, hopefully it's, it's one of a few. Perfect. Thanks for your time as always. Cheers, Dan. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundeal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundeal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes lastly podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand i've started all proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by john Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt hoodie cap or all three please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk Thanks for listening.